0: contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith.
1: Well, we're back. We're back. We're so back. Like the papacy. But not with the papacy is so back finally that's disappointing although given the order people hear episodes in they probably will have forgotten all about that by the time they hear this probably
2: but then the pope will just do something
1: yeah unless we have to do more on the pope the papacy
2: is so back so back so back
1: yep so So this is once for all delivered a podcast exploring theology and its application to culture to the world in which we live i am andrew smith i am caleb castro and we are returning to our occasional series on comparing catechisms it's true In which we compare catechisms.
2: And also uh, where catechisms are compared.
1: Yes, we take one catechism and evaluate it alongside another catechism and see what is similar and different between them. Find what's different and what's the same. So last time we did this, we began looking at the Apostles' Creed. That's the creed that was not written by the Apostles. Right. But... We, we have to suspend our being pedantic at that point because no, the apostles probably didn't write the apostles creed. Although your guess is good as mine as to who actually did. We don't really know. It's just the sort of thing that was formed through the tradition of the church and developed and yeah. It's a dirty word. You shouldn't say tradition, tradition, tradition. tradition. We don't watch musicals. Yeah, obviously. So what
2: is this? Andrew, yeah. You're you know what? I feel like um we start out all the time with the Heidelberg Catechism. Maybe we should, you know, do something weird, like almost almost disorderly and charismatic, Pentecostally like and shake things up a bit. We should uh invert the format of this show today.
1: Now where did you get that idea, Caleb? That's well, just so random and out of nowhere.
2: Well, let's just say that I think maybe sometimes though, the Westminster larger and shorter catechisms uh should shine a little bit and uh it's maybe it's the westminster's turn to go first you definitely didn't before this show uh suggest that we do the westminster first to lay out the definition and then uh go to the heidelberg to get kind of the uh the importance of uh this topic definitely not yeah.
1: I definitely did not do that oddly specific thing you just described.
2: This is just the democratic process.
1: Yeah. Um so we are we did the introduction to the creed last time we looked at the creed. We really dove in with arms wide open. It took us higher. I knew that was coming. It delivered us out of our own prison.
2: I wish that there was a way to incorporate nickel back here.
1: I am very glad there isn't.
2: <laughs> so what, what is this topic that we're going to be discussing in the comparison of catechisms?
1: <laughs> um, so last time we did a general introduction to the Apostles' Creed, so we're still following the Heidelberg as far as structure and topics, um, but now we come to the part of the Heidelberg on God the Father, which in the Apostles' Creed is... I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And what the Heidelberg does, and although it doesn't explicitly do it as a part of the creed, the Westminster does something very similar, is when looking at the doctrine of God the Father, it looks at the doctrine of God the Father through his decrees, um, which the Westminster takes his decrees and divides them as creation, and providence. So, let's look at the Westminster Larger Catechism. So, that is basically question 12. What are the decrees of God? God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby from all eternity he hath for his own glory, unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. So, these decrees of God are the wise, free, and holy acts of God's counsel and will. Well, that's all well and good. But actually, before we get into what they are, I want to look at another question here. Uh, Question 13. What hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? It is interesting how the larger catechism does spend quite a bit of time in this section on angels, because it's something rather peculiar to the larger catechism that other reform standards don't really get into that much, but, uh, God, by an eternal and immutable decree out of his mere love for the praise of his glorious grace to be manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory and in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life and the means thereof, and also according to his sovereign power and the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth favor as he pleaseth, hath passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath, to be for their sin inflicted to the praise of the glory of his justice. So one thing as we're looking at God the Father We talked before about a distinction between the ontological and economic trinity. You have the ontological trinity, which is God in his being, and then you have the economic trinity, which is God in redemption, uh, the economy of redemption, what the three persons of the trinity do. In the economy of redemption, election is typically uh, ascribed to and attributed to uh, the decree of the Father. You get this from texts in Scripture such as Ephesians chapter 1. First uh, Peter chapter 1 is another one. It's a fixture throughout Paul's writings, talking about God's election, but it being attributed to the Father. So, like, for instance, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 is one of the proof texts here. Uh, Just as he, so God the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself... According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So, we have, uh, as a part of God's decrees, his election. And this is election that applies both to angels and men. We can get into that a little more later. But then we come to question 14, how doth God execute his decrees? And this gets where we're more in parallel with what the Heidelberg says when it's talking about God the Father. When it says, God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence, which Lords Day 9 and Lords Day 10 of the Heidelberg deal with creation and providence. So... Those are sort of the three issues that the Westminster treats under the headings of God, the Father, and his decrees. Again, not explicitly so delineated as in looking at the creed, but we have election, and then we have creation and providence.
2: It is true. There's a couple things that go into this background as well, which the Westminster... Is particular in defining at this point in the Westminster larger catechism, you're going into God's decree, which is an act that it stems from who God is uh, in terms of his person, and his essential, both his, I'm saying his economic persons, as well as his ontological persons and his essential deity, his oneness. In other words, what this presumes when we confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. The first thing we're confessing is, I believe in God. So before you even say the Father Almighty, you're starting off with the confession, I believe in God. It's a presumption, or it's, it's a presupposition, I should say. In the Heidelberg, that's a presupposition all throughout. Uh, there is no definition of God or there's no question dealing with who is God or what is God.
1: Whereas there was in the Westminster and we looked at that last time. Right.
2: So this is where the presupposition comes in. Now of course this is partly in nature of uh, the Heidelberg is a teaching tool to Christians for Christians. Whereas the confession, the Belgian confession has the definition of what it is we confess who God is. But moreover, there's also another inherent presupposition in the statement "I believe in God, the Father." To confess there is a Father, there must be other persons. So this this already has an inherent confession of the Trinity. And yes, not just the relationship between the Father and the Son. This isn't a presumption of a binitarianism, But the Father necessitates that there is, if you will, a child, or in the sense, yes, the Son. But there's also the bond between them, as as Augustine would call the bond of love, or that being the person or fellowship of the Holy Spirit of this person. This does necessitate a a Trinitarian confession in it, and you're also getting a confession in the phrase, uh, which leads directly into what Andrew read from the larger catechism, Uh, the phrase, I believe in God, the Father, there's your oneness, your, your Trinitarian persons, and Almighty, so who God is. This is all encompassing of who God is and all of his nature, his his attributes, his perfections, uh, his virtues, excellencies, however you want to put that. Everything of God is essentially, and yes, essentially summed up in that title Almighty. And there we also get a glimpse into his Almighty being, uh, not just from question seven of the larger catechism that uh, was in the last episode, but also what Andrew had just read. When he had said, um, what are the decrees of God? You, you consider what's being confessed here. God's decrees, so he's almighty in the sense that he establishes what shall be, what is, a decree. That's essentially his, speaking of his sovereignty, but Andrew read, God's decrees are the wise, and there's his wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. The free, he's independent, He's a, a say. He is not influenced by anything on the outside. Holy, right? God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby from all eternity, you, you're seeing also his eternality, for yeah. his own glory, unchangeably foreordained, etc. So, uh, et cetera. Then um, even in question 13, what hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? Eternal and immutable decree out of mere love. Mm-hmm praise of his glorious yep. grace, and so on. So you get in the answers of these questions, you're already getting who God is.
1: Mm-hmm. You get many of God's attributes, and then of course you get the, the end of all of this for his own glory. So this mm-hmm. is taking us back to the very end of the Westminster Larger Catechism or Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The man's chief end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. So... You see that purpose uh, being worked out all throughout, including in the work of creation and providence. So, moving on from there, we get question 15 What is the work of creation? The work of creation is that wherein God did in the beginning by the word of his power make of nothing the world and all things therein for himself within the space of six days and all very good. So we have the creation of the world and then going on question 16. So one thing you'll see here as, we, as you work through this section of the Westminster Larger and as it roughly parallels Lords Day 9 and 10 of the Heidelberg, you see... Creation and providence, Um, you saw God's decrees as they pertain to men and angels, then you'll see creation and providence and how they pertain to angels and men both. So question 16 is, how did God create angels? God created all the angels, spirits, immortal, holy, excelling in knowledge, mighty in power to execute his commandments and to praise his name, yet subject to change. So you have here... Uh, beings and you see a list of attributes of the angels things about them they're spirits they're immortal they're holy now when we say spirits we're not just saying they're like humans that they have spirits because you know man is body and soul we're saying they are spirits so angels are immaterial they're not corporeal sorry for your your takes on genesis six whatever they may be i was discussing that again with somebody the other day but sorry but not sorry that's one where that always seems to come up but yeah immortal holy excelling in knowledge mighty in power and yet you know they they have these things which are sort of analogs of the attributes of god but they don't have them As God has them again analogs they're not the the holiness and knowledge and power and such of God and we see that their purpose is to execute his commandments they are servants of God they serve his purposes they praise his name and then also they're subject to change Subject to change in so far, as we know, although we shouldn't speculate too much into the when and how and such, we do know that there are angels who have fallen, angels who rebelled and sinned against God, Satan himself being one of them, and then those who fell with him. And the larger catechism goes into that in some detail, actually, uh, pertaining to the fall of angels, which we'll get into later when we look at the fall. So that's how the decree of creation relates to angels. But what about man? That's question 17. How did God create man? After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, formed the body of the man of the dust of the ground and the woman of the rib of the man, endued them with living, reasonable, and immortal souls, made them after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts, and power to fulfill it, and dominion over the creatures, yet subject to fall. So like the angels, subject to change, man was subject to fall.
2: So what you're getting then is from question 12 to 17 uh, so far is everything has its source from God. Certain reformed articulations of this, like Bob Inc., uh, would speak about uh, everything as having its origins from the mind of God. Everything has its, if you will, eternal establishment issuing from the will and almighty perfect counsel of God, such as we saw in, uh, what was that? The question and answer, uh, 12 of the uh, larger catechism. So uh, everything from the decree stems from the secret counsel. What God has purposed, how he purposed it, why he purposed it, everything that we can't pry into is in that almighty will. We reflect then on also God's, uh, nature of these things that God created knowing some angels would fall. God created man knowing that man would fall. God had an eternal plan in all of these things and where he would be taking them, what eschatological end or goal that all of creation and history would have. So uh, when we're starting with this doctrine of God and confessing that he is divine and perfect, that he is father, and as we'll see uh, later on with the Heidelberg, How we speak of him as a, pardon me, actually I believe that was in the last Lord's Day, uh, how we speak of him as uh, the almighty God, but also as faithful father for the elect, that we can call upon him and know him. We're confessing, essentially, in this article, everything that is already encompassed in the rest of the uh, the Apostles' Creed, everything that follows faith, from the Divine Decree. We spoke of this uh, a bit in the previous episode on the introduction to the Creed, and we read some portions from Caspar Olivianus' exposition of the Apostles' Creed. He himself had viewed it uh, when writing even then the parts of the Heidelberg Catechism and structuring it. He had in mind the Creed as entailing covenantalism. So, for us here on the Catechism, Lord, say 10 in questions and answers 12 to 18 on with the Westminster, what's contained in here is then the nature of who God is as creator of the universe, as Elohim, as God, a God above all gods, as Lord of Lords, the one only true God, as Yahweh, the covenantal God who reveals himself to his people in time, in history. That he is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands of generations, forgetting the iniquity and trespasses of the sins, but by no means quitting the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. All this is already contained in this Confession. Because that is who God is and declares himself to be. That he is a God who reveals himself to his creature. Both in a general sense, though suppressed in wickedness in Romans 1.20 onwards. But pardon me, Romans one twenty one onwards. But also in, in known in a special salvific manner by the revelation uh, by the Son through the Spirit. All this comes forth from... Who God is, this God who has created, but then also who recreates, who renews that which has fallen, that which is cursed under sin, that which is depraved and dark, he calls out of light. The entire plan of redemption is spoken in this uh, according to God's decree of the beginning to the end.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, too, I mean, not to belabor a point we have dealt with at some length before, But when you look at how the catechism talks about creation, the larger catechism, when it talks about creation, it's talking about the events of creation. It's talking about Genesis one and two events as things that happened, as the Bible said they happened. It's talking about them as historical. It is not talking about them as as myth or literary framework or anything of the sort. Um, It is talking about these as historical events. It's talking about six days. Now, I think you would be very hard-pressed to say that anyone writing in 1646 or so would say in the space of six days and mean anything other than days that we know days to be, 24 or so hours.
2: Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... That in the Westminster, that's a quotation uh, directly from Calvin. Within the space of six days. That's his language, if I recall, from the Institutes.
1: Might be. Or was it a commentary?
2: Yeah, I have it somewhere. But yeah, anyways, from the Westminster, that is, I believe, a quotation from Calvin.
1: Because the space of six days, you know, that would denote that there is a, a limit to the six days. A set and defined limit that six days means six days. The space of six days doesn't mean thousands or millions Mm -hmm. of years crammed into something called six days. It's those six days have have an existence and being an extent of their own. Or
2: even aside from a uh, span of ages or whatever, but even it's not conceiving of an unspecified abstract six days, an undefined six days. In other words, whatever a six day is to God. Which, again, I think the quotation of this being from Calvin, in a place where Calvin defines it as actual six days, it might be in his Genesis commentary, actually. I'll have to pull that up a bit. but uh,
1: I actually have that up, so I could okay. probably get that fairly quickly.
2: While you do that, I'll talk. This actually is a whole other wonderful topic that you don't find a lot in, or leads to another topic that you don't find a lot in much reform material at all, but that the uh, Westminster has what Andrew spoke about, Not just the the, the space of six days of confession concerning creation, but also the creation of the angels. But that's worth a whole other topic in and of itself. (laughs) The doctrine of uh, angels and demons. All this, though, is, is simple stating who God actually is, that if we're confessing these things about God being an almighty creator, this is something that is revealed by the Son, who is the only one that can lead us to the Father, the only one who reveals the Father. In order to know the Father, we must know the Son. And this then implies that this is something taken in faith. You know, whoever's going to know the nature of God is someone that's brought into the covenant relationship, someone who's reconciled to him. This is a nature of belief. But we also have uh, from Hebrews, then uh, an example of this. There's uh, Hebrews 11, that through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, it is by faith that we even believe God created the world. You also get in things like, say, this I had stated, you get the covenantal relationship revealed through this in the decree. You have John 17, verses 1 to 3, where Jesus spoke these words uh, as in the high priestly prayer. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Uh, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. But this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Again, this being contained in the decree. Yeah, that's that uh, place, though, on, on Calvin, uh, Andrew just pulled up.
1: So this is uh, Institutes one fourteen twenty two. 22. God himself is shown by the order of creation that he created all things for man's sake, for it is not without significance that he divided the making of the universe into six days, even though it would have been no more difficult for him to have completed in one moment the whole work together in all its details than to arrive at its completion gradually by a progression of this sort. But he willed to commend his providence and fatherly solicitude toward us in that before he fashioned man... He prepared everything he foresaw would be useful and salutary for him. How great and gratitude would it be now to doubt whether this most gracious father has us in his care who we see was concerned for us even before we were born. And he goes on to say more from there. And really this ties back to what we've already talked about, about how we see God's purposes for redemption put forth here I mean God decreed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and included within that is his decree to create the world and create it suitable for for man to live in it and for this uh, plan of redemption to be carried out within it
2: we're gonna stop there we want to leave a cliffhanger uh, some suspense and make you uh, want to come back and hear the next part for whatever reason subjecting yourself to our our banter uh, no, no, but really this is a...
1: RNA and juvenile discourse.
2: Our inane and juvenile discourse. No, and in reality, I personally benefit a lot from this. We always remember that we're not theological experts or whatever. You know, these are just wondrous things to contemplate and uh, think upon. And, uh, you know, we figure, you know, in the, in the very least, we share these as we talk about uh, these topics. But uh, if you have any uh, complaints, any concerns, any compliments, all of your compliments, all of your uh, well wishes, especially
1: compliments,
2: especially compliments, uh, we'll uh, then we are glad to receive them. Uh, you can send them to uh, what is that Podcast at uh, You can uh, you know like, subscribe, uh, follow us here on on your favorite podcast listening platform so you don't miss an episode. Uh, subscribe also to our Substack. Ofad, what is that, Andrew? I don't remember these things.
1: <laughs> Once for all, Once for all. Com. It's Once like the easiest thing it could be, and that's the Once one you forgot. For
2: that is. Well, that's because I I type in the first like <laughs> couple words on you know my my search browser, and it just comes up, and I just click it, so I never look at it. But. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah we're gonna we're gonna be in a lot of trouble if you know all technology fails and we don't have things like spell check and auto complete and things of the sort
2: it's true i we're like the- these modern accommodations yeah but it's uh yeah so you know you can go ahead and uh subscribe to us uh putting your email in there and uh you can get, continue to get updates uh, on the show and uh, the other various announcements. Uh, you can uh, join in in uh, supporting us through uh, paid subscriptions, which then you also receive various benefits uh, such as show outtakes and, you know, our, our bloopers. The group chat. A group chat where you can uh, join us in inane and juvenile discourse. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, uh, directly voice your, your complaints.
1: The The most inane and juvenile of which we might even, you know, use on the show.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we'll do a listener, listener complaints in juvenile discourse. (laughs) Anyways, that's, uh, so that's, I believe everything that we have here and, uh, hope that you'll join us again next time. Until then.
1: Totesines.
2: We're not doing that anymore. Unless we are. Unless we are. Take it, Heidi.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our Substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.